Blissfully unaffected by last night's horrors, it's a new day. We find Letty and Uncle George jubilantly indulging in all the hospitality that luxurious Braithwaite Lodging has to offer. It was all good. Until it wasn't. Hello. Welcome to Lovecraft Country Companion Redux Edition. I'm your host, Ambrose, and today we have a very special guest co-host, Corey Paul from the Literacy Kings podcast. What's going on, King? Man, it feels good to be back, man. man. I feel like last time was... You know, this I was I was uh you was bring me into your world, man. So <laughs> I feel like at least I, I got a toe in the water now. Hey, hey man, you 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 know what you a pro in this game, man. You know, your content, we listen to your content for a long time. So I'm trying to get on your level. My brother, my brother. <laughs> All right, so this week we're breaking down the second episode, Whitey's on the Moon. So opening scene. We got the Jefferson's theme song, moving on up. Sung by the late great Jeanette Dubois or Jeanette Dubois. Um, some of y'all might remember her as Walona Woods on Good Times. Uh, so, as the scene begins, we see George and Letty having a good old time, making the most of their drastically improved circumstances. Um, and Atticus is somewhere brooding over the previous night's event. George is enjoying an endless supply of books. Letty has an expansive tailor fit wardrobe. And William, you know, the Braithwaite family friend, is being suspiciously hospitable. And uh, he provides us a very suspect explanation for Montrose's absence. So, enjoying the good life. Um, Tick is, you know, he's still feeling some kind of way, a little down. I mean, you know, just remember the night before, the last we saw them, they had just overcome being chased by our monsters and had a, you know, a near deadly encounter with a dirty sheriff. So for yeah. some reason, George and Letty, you know, it's like nothing ever happened, but uh tick is still kind of, kind of down about it. Yeah. Rightfully so, so man. And I, I, I knew as soon as the, op- the scene opened up and they was, they was turned up, uh, George and Letty, I was like, nah, bro. You know, <laughs> like what's going on? What's I, yeah, that? Wait, wait, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like just from the beginning, I just I, it was too good, man. It was like they because when it, especially that Jefferson theme song, like you know, yeah. that's gonna hit you moving with, on up. Yeah, that's hitting you. <laughs> in the, you want to be happy, you know what I'm saying? When you hear it and and all the books and everything, but I'm just like, this is too good. You know, this oh, this, yeah. this is too good. Yeah. Yeah, man. They tried to use the cheat code. They playing mm-hmm. moving on up. You know what I'm saying? And this is this is the 1950s too, and we right. had these these people of color luxuriating right. in this white man's mansion. You know, living it up. It's like uh uh-uh, uh, something is you know something off. I'm like yeah. Tick, man. I'd be I'd be real nervous right now. Exactly. Yeah, that's exact. I I feel like he Tick. He had the right you know the right um posture. Like you know no, still exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so eventually, um, William comes and collects them. Uh, you know, he wants to escort them to lunch, and um, you know, he has a unusual visage. 
as they say. Someone bought him the way he carries himself. Mm-hmm. Green. It's a little, little odd, a little strange. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems like a robot or something. Yeah, it's not, you know, something is very different. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, supremely well, he's almost like a Ken dog come to life. Mm-hmm. It's just some mm-hmm. artificial. Yep. Artificial. His presence. It's perfect. Um, but anyway, so while he's giving him a tour throughout the, uh, the state, he gives him a little history lesson. And um, he's explaining that his instructions were to treat them like family. Mm-hmm. And um, he's, he's telling them about the, the various attributes of the Braithwaite compound and uh, while simultaneously deflecting any questions Atticus has about his father. Mm-hmm. And so he's explaining to them about the um, Titus, who was the founder of Artem and the original owner of the Braithwaite Lodge. Mm-hmm. And uh, he earned his fortune in the shipping business mm-hmm. you, know, you know and in this case shipping means uh the slave trade right so uh, he also explains that titus was known to be notoriously kind to those who worked for him mm-hmm. uh particularly the female slaves right uh and there was a great fire that burned down the original lodge that the lodge that they're in right now is actually a replica and um titus says everyone perished in the fire except for one so anyway it's now lunchtime everybody's on the terrace and it becomes clear that letty and george are so jubilant because they have amnesia they don't remember anything that occurred from the night before with the whole monsters in the woods right situation right and i think it was that whistle like when i saw when i first saw that i was like i wonder Mm -hmm. if it's the whistle did something to them but for some apparent reason, tick is, um, you know, it can't it can't affect them. Yeah, that's the only thing that would explain it to me. That's the only thing that ha- it happened. I was thinking of what happened to all of them. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that whistle was something that happened. They all heard. But that's just me. That's just me guessing. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if that's true or not as of yet. Well, but- no, there's definitely something to that, right? Because mm-hmm. the whistle. So we get the whistle. The monsters scatter. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Letty and Uncle George have no recollection of events. Mm-hmm. And Tick, for whatever reason, seems to only be the only one that, uh, you know, is aware of what what, what had just happened. Right, so, right, right. Um, but anyway, so while they're, while they're enjoying lunch, um, George peeps that they're being watched. You know what I mean? So they kind of hush up. And um, they make plans to venture out to... The nearby town to search for some clues so they can, you know, find out maybe what happened to Montrose, Atticus's father. So they set about to nearby town and um, they notice a very suspicious looking tower. And as they approach, they're denied entry by a guard dog wielding local. Um, she turns them away. And that's when George kind of figures. Montrose might have been kept there. You know, mm-hmm. that's why they're acting so suspicious. Mm-hmm. So they decided to head back to the lodge to plot their next move. And on the way back to the lodge, George um reveals that there was a former slave ancestor of Tick's mom who escaped the fire. And they're starting to put things together two and two, and they they deduced that um the survivor that William had spoke of was actually Atticus's ancestor. 
mm-hmm. which would give him a birthright claim regarding uh, the brave whites, mm-hmm. which would explain why they've been so, you know, hospitable and, and treating them like family because they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, soon they come under attack by the same creatures from the previous night. Right. And the mysterious Christina Braithwaite appears and calls off the monsters by blowing on, on, on that, that whistle. And we hear the same whistle sound that uh, made them scatter from before. Right. And, um, and immediately this time we see George and Liddy, um lose their memory instantaneously. Mm-hmm. And so, so, so you were right. He confirms it, it. Yeah, yeah, he confirms that the whistle um, has some type of magical um, power, right? And so, Christina sends them back to the lodge, and the same lady that cut them off from the um, from the tower earlier, I guess she 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 escorts them back. So, what what, what do you think? So yeah, far? and so so that scene was good because like you. So I knew, now this is just me when it comes to situations like this. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I'm like, these boys is dirty. You know what I mean? They they ain't for you. They they are clearly they got they have some motive, you know. So I'm that's already my posture with this whole situation. I'm thinking like something is up. They not just the homies, you know? So when the cause the lady, um, I can't remember her name, Bill or something, like the one with the dogs. Mm-hmm, with the guard dog. The, mm-hmm. With the guard dogs. She's racist. Uh, racist. Like, she's, mm-hmm. like, mad racist. Like, she's basically, um, she was using the term saying about how dumb black bears are and mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. But she's really talking mm-hmm. about black people. You know what right. I mean? Right, right. So she was, like, you know, like, hate, you know, hateful, you know, hatefully racist or whatever. And so... Um, so then once, you know, uh, Christina came with the whistle and it's like, okay, you know, we finna, we finna take you back. I realized that because if they wanted, if they wanted to keep them locked up, right, if they wanted to kidnap them or keep them locked up or something, then they could have easily done that. But they allowed them to be able to roam, which mm. told me this is a lot bigger than what, than what we think. You know what I'm saying? Right, like right. evidently, we already know that Christina has magic. You know, like we see we've seen that already. So we don't know the level of it, but I'm like, whatever they trying to do, it must be some real ball stuff. So cause they're not even concerned about y'all, you know, poking around and feeling like they need to put you in handcuffs and stuff like that, you know. Because because we we're not a we're not a we're not a threat, particularly during that era. I mean, this is 1950s mm-hmm. America. It's like, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, you couldn't even, you weren't even really allowed to look white people in the eyes back then. Right, you know? exactly. You look down and boy and gal, you know, the disrespect. So it was like, yeah, I mean, why, you know, why why, why would they have any worries, right? Exactly. I mean, boot is firmly planted on the back of of uh, people of color's neck back then. So Right, right. Yeah, you 1950s, know. you know, this is, I mean, Emmett Till was in the 1950s. Emmett Till right. got, you know, murdered in his killers went free you know over right. uh, a lady lying on him you know what I mean so this is that this is that era where like you said they not concerned about us at all they can nah. literally I mean, do just, they want to yeah like literally, literally like if you can commit murder you know what I'm saying and not even you know go to jail or mm-hmm. be convicted it's like what 
I mean, you know what I mean? So. What else is, I mean, that's the the greatest, you know what I mean? Like, that's the right. greatest offense is to take a life. So, yeah. So, yeah, some some might say uh, even to this day, I mean, you know, maybe some, some things that occur, right. <laughs> you know, without for fear of repercussions, right? But and some would be right. Yep. I was, yeah. I was standing right next to that statement. But, yeah, after that scene, for me, it was just clear, like, okay. They they really got a whole nother ulterior motive that Tick, George, Letty, they have no idea about at this time. Yeah. You know, they think they there for Montrose, but clearly, you know, they they want them to be there. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. they And then treat them like and then treat them so well too. It's like, oh, come on in and like stay mm-hmm. in the, you know, in the big house. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. To the our house. And and I get that that George and Letty might have lost a temporary memory, mm-hmm. but Damn, I mean, it's still 1950s America, you know what I'm saying? Given the racial dynamics, it's like, all right, that's cool. You might have forgot about the monsters, but right, right. I mean, y'all are y'all not even a little suspicious while we right. up in these white folks' house, all, you know, <laughs> right, 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 yeah, exactly, you know, but. exactly. That's good. So, anyway, um, so they arrived back at the lodge, and there we're introduced to Samuel Braithwaite, the mm-hmm. head of the household. And when we meet him, he's screaming in pain as um, one of his organs is like being ritualistically removed through mm-hmm. some type of like primitive surgery with no anesthetic or any type of, you know, comfort in sight. That just literally is it's like torture almost. Right. And, um, you know, soon after, you know, we get a better idea an understanding of, you know, the, the arrogance, um, that he personifies, mm-hmm. you know, as he delivers this grand 007 Bond villain worthy speech about right. his, his, his grand plans and, you know, all of these, um, biblical references about Adam, Eve and the garden of Eden and his mm-hmm. desire to return to paradise. So, mm-hmm. you know, clearly he has some type of God complex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's very dismissive of, you know, Tick. He sees him, you know, talking, you know, along with his daughter, Christina. And, you know, he can he can scarcely contain the disgust on his face and he just kind of weighs him off. Right. Um, and so after being dismissed, Christina escorts Tick back to his room. And... Now, Click clearly knows something ain't right and, right. He, and he can see that George and Letty are not themselves. So he persuades Christina to release George and Letty from whatever spell they're under uh, and restore their memories. And she complies, mm-hmm. but also uses the same magic to lock Tick in his room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then elsewhere, George and Letty are also magically confined in their rooms as well. And all three of them begin experiencing troubling visions. Mm-hmm. Um, first with Atticus. He's under attack by some Asian woman, uh, presumably from his past, because mm-hmm. we know he was, you know, he fought in the Korean War. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we suspect it has something to do with his, his experience over there. Right. And Letty's vision involves uh, confiding with a fake tick, um, right. his, his doppelganger. Right. And, you know, she's having a, a vulnerable moment discussing her absentee mother. And, um, you know, 
opening up and you know it's been long simmering attraction between those two mm-hmm. so it didn't take long before things start to get a little start to heat up a little bit right and um you know she's getting excited tick is getting a little bit more too excited mm-hmm. he's ready to go and um she's having second thoughts but uh you know he unzips his pants presumably to pull out his you know penis and get it in but instead he re- he reveals a snake and i right. mean like literally a snake like a real trouser snake like not a pe- like snake penis right exactly you know, snake penis is right that's exactly you know, what it was <laughs> and, you know, snake. and you know and so, what it's <laughs> a uh in the episode uh it's a picture um they they like in the house i believe it's a picture or something right like Adam and Eve, it, Adam and Eve, it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's like a snake penis type thing, like that. So they, they and it, and yeah, they hitting at that again. The symbolism, right? We were talking about the, the Garden of Eve, mm-hmm. right? Adam and Eve and temptation, and, and the serpent appeared, right? You know, Satan in the form of a serpent tempting Eve. So, ladies, be careful. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They say, you know, yeah. snake, snake, dick, tick. You know. You <laughs> <laughs> message, right, uh, right. Not, not so subtle message by the writers. We get it, you know. Beware yeah. the penis. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but anyway, she she fights him off, and um, we go to George's room, and mm-hmm. we find we see him dancing. What's that? What's that? Now I was saying that this is the one for me that I was like, oh Ooh. yeah, okay. So we have George, and he's dancing with his deceased sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. Montrose's wife, his brother's wife, mm-hmm. and they dancing like real comfortable and real familiar. And like it's implied, yeah, yeah and it's implied that he could possibly be Atticus's real father. Yeah, bro, so, that so was stop. the one for me. Yeah, that was the one for me right there. Because even as he's as he's he's reminiscing, and you can tell like he's enjoying it. You know, it's familiar. You know. um, but then towards the end, even though it's a vision and he starts to come, uh, he becomes aware that it's a vision. He even in his vision, it's almost like he feels a, a guilt or something. Right. Know? And he's like, I can't like I can't do this or you're not real or something like that. So it, it's heavy. It ain't just, oh, him and his sister-in-law used to be cool. Like you can tell because he does a great job in that scene of feeling the weight of who she really is to him. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you know what? Just just to um just to flashback or call back to the first episode. Remember, now this might have been unintentional, happy coincidence, or, or maybe, you know, the writers are just kind of threading things in as a Easter egg. But remember the uh the Denmark Vesey bar? Mm-hmm. That we discussed in the background and who Denmark Vesey was, and the fact by that Denmark Vesey was betrayed by right. a George. Right. And so at the time, I thought, hmm, that's interesting. You know that they named it specifically, and the character named George, and he's a betrayer. Right. But Uncle George, we love Uncle George, right? right. Uncle George could do no wrong. So now we're starting to see might be a little dirt on Uncle George's fingernails. Right. It's something so maybe, to that. It's definitely right. something to it, and especially we haven't. Like as of now, we still haven't met um Montrose. Montrose, but, right. But we know from what they told us about him 
versus what we see about uh, Uncle George, Uncle George and Tick seem to have a lot in common. You know what I'm yeah. saying? They both readers, um, you know, readers and and uh and thinkers and you know, so I don't know if they are, you know, intentionally tying that together or not, but it is definitely like you waiting for him to expose what's really going on. It looks like Uncle George, man, he did he did his brother dirty, huh? Yeah, bro. I think I I I do think that Uncle George and his sister-in-law might have been creeping, man. I, yeah. I do think that, that that's probably going to be the case because uh, they basically do everything but tell you in that scene from what I receive. I mean, listen, you know, I don't... I mean, the way they were dancing together, I mean, you know, you know, even if you had the sound turned down, if it was on mute, you know, mm-hmm. something like... If, if you were to turn the volume on it and then realize... Oh, that's his brother's wife dancing like that. I mean, you draw your own conclusions, right? Exactly. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of look funny in the light. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, Christina, while this is going on, everyone's having their um their visions, magical, I guess, uh visions, if you will. Mm-hmm. Christina is summoned away to play midwife for a cow who's giving birth to one of those a baby monster. Yeah. Um, I guess a Shogoth or Shagas. Some um, the same monsters that were attacking the other night, and um, yeah, yeah, and, and, and they're acting like that's regular, like it's like mm-hmm. okay. And mm-hmm. she was like, um, one of the farmers asked her, you know, was this her first time? And she she was like, yeah, and she was cradling this little baby monster as if it were like a real child. She was delighted, right, right. So I don't I don't know what that's like. That was. Yeah, they 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 made in this ep- in episode two. They really showed you, you know, that they. You know, they 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 ten toes with this magic, um, m- you know, mystic, you know, the spells, the monsters. You it really showed you like, nah, they that's they really running in that lane, you know, with the the monster babies and uh, <laughs> they're having control over them. Obviously, you know, so mm-hmm. obviously they have a hand in the creation of them because we see it giving birth and she's able to control them. So yeah, it's a lot going on. Yeah, yeah, that was wild. Mm-hmm. Um, so next, I think we cut to the dinner party scene. Very yeah. formal. Yeah, well, 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 before the dinner party, remember they they were like watching them. You know what I mean? It showcase. Oh yeah, that's right. Well, that leads yeah. into the dinner party scene because they're at the mm-hmm. dinner party. I guess. Amusing themselves by watching them, right? Or, or right. before before they head into the dinner party, yeah. Right? Before they they're watching the them, party. they're watching them through these like little magical. I don't know if it's mirrors or portals. Yeah, and like, they can watch them like yeah. Like they being entertained, like they watching. Yeah, like they're they're they have them reliving or um or living um you know possibly some of their greatest fears, if not their greatest fears, and the the dinner party guests or watching it like you know it's a movie or something like that like it's just on TV. Now now let's 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 examine that for a second. Let's look at the optics of that. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the way it was um filmed and framed. Mm-hmm. You know, you have these very affluent um white men mm-hmm. um looking or watching um these black people be tormented mm-hmm. purely for their entertainment. Mhm. 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 Yeah, that's I, you know history. It's history. That's um, we've seen other movies that that have showcased um, you know, showcased that us being used for their entertainment. Uh, what was it? Django. Um, 
with Jamie Foxx and um man, I'm drawing a blank. Um Ah, man, I'm drawing a blank. I mean, there's so many. Any movie, any TV show, even even today, like even now, some of these reality shows, like just it's literally, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the guy who was he played in the Titanic. I can't believe I'm drawing a blank. The Leonardo. Are you, are you, are you talking about the actor yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio yeah, yeah, yeah. and Jamie Foxx and uh, Samuel when they was in Django. You know, uh, like the Mandingo fighting. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like they have the two, you know, black. Um, um, to the two black slaves, like fight it out, you know, to the death and stuff like that. Um, that was that was a, a form of entertainment, you know, for them. So in this way, they were it was just a a nod to to you know what we were subject, subjected to. But you don't get a seat at the table, right? You know, what I'm saying you here to entertain us, but you saw the reaction when they finally, you know, entered the room, you know, entered the. Right. Um, into the formal. So, um, yeah, that's, that's not a coincidence. I'm sure they were trying to, um, trying to put a, shine a light on. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. How that that continues to happen even to this day. Yeah. So as we, as we cut to the formal, you know, it's a men's only dinner party for the order of the ancient Don members. Mm -hmm. And Samuel Braithwaite starts grandstanding again, mm-hmm. speaking of sacrifice and liking himself to the biblical Adam who gave his rib to produce Eve. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he offers up, uh, I don't know what it is, liver or something. Some, yeah, some, it? Clearly, it's, it's the organ that was being removed from him earlier. And uh, he offers it up to the diners uh, to, to feast upon. Yeah, man. Yeah, that so, guy's crazy, bro. <laughs> like, yeah, man. He, he he's next level with it, you know. Just his the, the the character that they've painted for him. This um, this all powerful. You know, he thinks of himself as god complex. Yeah, demigod. Like, yeah. you know, that's how he he's carrying himself. So it's like well, it's like communion, right? You know, it's like uh, mm-hmm. uh you know, eat, eat, you know, flesh of you know, eat, you know, with blood, mm-hmm. you know, My blood, flesh, bread. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because um, I mean, he literally um, likes himself to 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 being God or godlike. Right, 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 right. And his concept of, you know, they that they um they worship. Um, they worship Adam as the first man, and so they're trying to get back um, to the garden. To ultimately, it seems like he's trying to. Obviously, he's trying to get some type of immortality, or you know, he don't want to be just a regular man. He's trying to definitely level up. But with with ironic is that's the same story in the Bible. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like the you Time know life. Yeah, yeah, like they're like they're trying to what they have isn't good enough. And the, the original Adam, the way the story goes in the Bible, is he's he's not good enough being Adam. He wants to be like God, and that's why you know they that he bites the apple anyway. So Samuel Braveway, for his you know all of his um you know his perceived God likeness is not a new script. You know what I mean? Like the way they wrote it is he's. He's trying to do the same thing over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a great observation. Yeah, um, man. and there's going to be a lot of, uh, I suspect, biblical themes throughout this show. Oh um, yeah, yeah, by, yeah. By the way, they're setting these things up and these characters mm-hmm. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You can tell. Um, so anyway, 
So while Mr. Bray White was doing all this grandstanding, George interrupts his speech by asserting Atticus's ancestral con- connection mm-hmm. to Titus mm-hmm. and emboldening, uh, or emboldening Atticus to command all the large members to leave. And they actually do. They get up and leave. Um, yeah. So... That was power crazy. move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was hard. Mm-hmm. So um, they all leave, but Samuel remains. Right. <laughs> I right. mean, so Tick tries to command him to return his missing father, but to no avail. I mean, you know, Samuel basically scoffs at him. Right. Um, right. He already thinks he's a god anyway. So yeah, and he's saying know. like Tick, like basically, <laughs> like you ain't got the juice like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you kind of deluded. You know, like yeah. you you don't have it like that. Don't let's not get crazy. It's like, <laughs> yeah. You know, I ain't them. Come right, on, now. right, right, right. I'm I'm the, I'm the big joker. If we play in space, I'm the big joker. Right, right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You got to give me your book on this. One. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think we cut next to the uh, back to the tower scene. Um, uh, is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're, we're back to the suspicious tower. tower. And George and Atticus make their way into this stone tower cellar to look for his dad, Montrose. Mm-hmm. Um, they find Montrose's flask, so they know he was there, but they don't. They don't see Montrose. And as George looks around, he makes an allusion to the book Count of Monte Cristo, which mm-hmm. is Montrose's favorite book. Mm-hmm. And in that book, you know, he, he kind of dug his, himself out to escape. And um, sure enough, they notice some loose stones and realize that Montrose, Montrose has escaped like the character from his favorite book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So eventually they catch up and they, they find Montrose and they round up and they all try to escape together by car. But they crash into another invisible barrier powered by the same magic they then encountered before. Mm-hmm. You know, and, if you, and it's kind of a callback to that scene in the previous episode where uh, when they were being chased. And Christina Brayfight appeared in that fancy silver car. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the other car seemed, seemingly hit like some kind of invisible barrier and flipped over the car, but it didn't actually hit the car. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, so, so before we get to that part, because that's, that's going to be climactic, couple things. One, um, I don't know why I feel the need to keep pointing this out, but I don't know. Maybe it's going to mean something, maybe it's not. When they go down to the cellar to get to, when they go down to the cellar, the chick comes back, the one with the dogs. Um, she like comes back and, and like Letty, uh, like Letty knocks her out, out again. Yeah. Letty, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Letty is pulling up again. I don't know to the rescue. Yes, yeah, to the rescue. I don't know if it's gonna mean anything, but it's it, it keeps standing out. And then another thing that I I feel, and this goes to like the overarching um, kind of dope creativity of the 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 author of this actual book is merging Lovecraft with this Jim Crow era um with with the, the lead of of a black cast i think that is so dope in the sense that we keep noticing they find their power in books you know mm. what i'm saying mm. like they keep finding their power in books when they were getting attacked by you know, the monsters, you know, in episode one, Uncle George, remember, uh, I think it was Dracula, right? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The, the phrase from it, and they were scared of the light and it saves them. So then also Uncle George knows about, um, he knows about the laws 
of um the the was the first done. He knows about the their their laws or whatever because he read it. You know what I'm saying? So are you trying to say, Mr. Corey Paul <laughs> of the Literacy Kings podcast, that um <laughs> the answer is in books? The answer is in look, listen, shame I, this is <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They say you want you want to hide something from us, put it in a book. Put you know it in a mean? book. And then they get to there and they go, Oh, Montrose not here. Count uh, Count of Monte Cristo. It's another book. You know what I mean. So mm-hmm. for us at that time, knowing that you know, um, you know, um, this is coming off the heels of it literally being um, a offense to be able to read or caught reading. I think that is is um, very intentional. You know that they keep finding the the answers and the power. You know what I'm saying inside of inside of the books, man. Man, that's dope. You know what? That reminds me of a super dope quote I heard once. Maybe you can help me with the reference. Mm. But um, you know, talk, you know, it essentially talks about um, you know, you utilizing books. You know, to find the answers to to any question you can have is in a book. Mm-hmm. And but they say they're real cool. Well, something about breaking down books to build up culture. Mm. Um, mm. Do you know anything about breaking down books to build up culture? What could what could somebody find out more information yeah, about breaking down books to build up culture? After you watch every one of these episodes, you can check out the Literacy Kings podcast with me and my homie Jay. Um, Jay with the NBA. Jay with the NBA. <laughs> Jay with the NBA. He really does have an NBA. We break down uh, financial books to build up our culture. So we do it in a real and build up your culture and yeah. your finances. Yeah, man, real and and finances, real and in a, a relevant way, you know, um, it's, it's a lot of business owners. Guy who started Whole Foods didn't even finish college. They asked him, "How you build Whole Foods? You didn't finish college." He said, "I just read a book for everything I needed to know." You know what I mean? So it's a lot of power in it, man. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Reading is fundamental. Reading is fundamental, man. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to drop that in before we got to this next, because that's finna this finna be a whole nother level as we get to this next part. Okay. So where we at? Where we at with it? Yeah. Okay. So they got them. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they try to burn out. So they they try to burn out. They crash over the invisible barrier. Yeah. And uh, when Samuel finds them, he shoots Letty and George. Yeah. As a means of forcing Atticus to participate in the ceremony to open the portal to the Garden of Eden, yeah. so Sammy can gain his immortality. Right. 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 So um, that was a real. He shot him in real life. <laughs> in real life. Yeah. What, you know what I'm saying? With no magic, it was bang bang. Yeah, he real life shot him. So I was waiting for him to wait to like dream or nah. He really shot. Nah. Him. Yeah. 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 And cold blooded too, like on some gangster stuff. Just cold behind the eyes like it, it was nothing you know he, no speech no nothing he just bang bang you know early he give he delivering speech that's then that normally what the villain do yeah they spend so much time telling you what they about to do to you they give you a chance to escape it was none of that it was yeah, bang yeah. bang yeah yeah straight up um, so um next we have the sacrifice scene we see a deflated atticus uh willingly submitting himself to sam's ritual mm-hmm. and as the ceremony begins um, with ticks, you know, screaming in anguish as whatever magical forces working to open a portal do so mm-hmm. at his body's expense. Mm-hmm. And eventually a smoke begins emanating from the ring Christina slipped on his finger earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, the smoke swarms around Atticus, triggering a train reaction that destroys the portal. Mm-hmm. 
and the order and seemingly everything else in its way. So they're all like just, I guess, vaporized. Is that what you would say? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, um, they vaporize, disintegrate. They like disintegrate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as a, you know, in a lodge, you know, is a blaze and it starts to collapse. And um, as it begins collapsing, Atticus sees the ghost of his ancestor Mm -hmm. and she's running, kind of beckoning him. So he follows her out to safety, uh, escaping just in the nick of time as, as, you know, the the building completely collapses behind him. Right. And once he makes it to safety outside, you know, he reunites with a a miraculously healed Letty. You know, she's all well and good. And uh, he, he finds his dad Montrose, mm-hmm. but um, they don't seem too happy to see them. You know, you know, you know, his, his dad is crying, Letty's upset, and he learns that um, Uncle George has died. He, yeah, he yeah. succumbed to his wounds. Man, that scene. So that scene was a lot, bro. Um, yeah, that scene was a lot. Um, so okay, they, they because. Um, you know, because Tick actually obviously has the blood of Titus, right? Um, Samuel is trying to sacrifice him for you know his um his his um his power immortality immortality you know for his immortality mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying for his immortality and so okay peep it couple I have a few things so one one that Whitey on the moon is playing. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? That Whitey on the Moon. Whitey on the Moon is playing during, during the climactic uh, ritual scene, right? Yeah, and the, by and, Gil Scott Heron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is that that's powerful. And in in essence, it's you know it's talking about you know uh, black people are, are, are suffering, suffering, scraping, living in poverty. Meanwhile, Whitey's on the Moon. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about going to space. You know, all of the millions, billions of dollars that that spent on trying to send people to the moon and the people here on Earth. You know, uh, black people here on Earth are barely scraping by, due directly to the the call, due directly to the uh, the the results of systematic oppression. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that Whitey on the moon is powerful, bro. Now peep this. Yeah, tell me what you think. Also, they utilizing Atticus um, as the sacrifice. You know what I'm hmm. saying? They utilizing Atticus as a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. This is all. This is it. Seems to be done several times, man. Like with m- literature or, and movies and stuff back then, where they would use the black sacrifice for the white person to move forward. You know what hmm. I'm saying? Speak, so, speak on it. Speak so, on it. Speak on it. I, I got the same thing on my notes. Let's, 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 okay. let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, um, I think it's the, the quintessential concept of like, you know, uh, utilizing the black back to move forward. But and even to the point where the black, like, they he can't even use the power you know what I'm saying? Like the way that it can really be utilized. So it's like mm-hmm. he has the power, but but it is only utilized. It is it's siphoned basically. You know what I'm saying for the white man's progression. You know, and so this is something that um is 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 coming or, or was coming like in literature and even you know I, it, I thought it like even in the movie um that movie Green Mile. Remember mm-hmm. Green Mile with Tom Hanks, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it was Tom Hanks. And it was the and it was the thing like in the movie John Coffee used this black, you know, black Oh, uh-huh, go ahead. 
he was also a magical Negro. Magical Negro. Uh, <laughs> magical Negro. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So, yeah, what, what do you think? I, I, I feel like that's the same thing that they're doing here. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and well, because it's so frequent in literature, because often literature is a reflection of what's going on in society. Facts. You know, Facts. it's uh, like, for, for instance, let's, let's start with the uh, Gil Scott Heron's poem, Whitey's on the Moon, mm-hmm. which is, is what the, um, this episode's title mm-hmm. derives its name from. So classic 1970s spoken word piece um, that is a juxtaposition uh, between Scott Heron's searing condemnation of white affluence mm-hmm. and upper m- mobility, mm-hmm. uh, both literal and figurative, at the expense of black and brown bodies, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is directly what you were talking about. I mean, just America was built on the backs of of black s- slaves, mm-hmm. right? Literally. You know, whatever whatever they seek to to build to to obtain. It was at the expense of people of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally, Atticus is being sacrificed uh, with little to no regard, so he can obtain immortality. Um, when they were tormenting themselves earlier, those visions merely for entertainment. The net game was just like you know. In other words, um, for people of Samuel Braithwaite's ilk. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if he's a proxy, if he represents uh, white supremacy mm-hmm. and, and the ide- that ideology, then we're not entities. We're irrelevant. I mean, we're like, you know, cattle or anything else. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, we're just a means to an end. Right. Uh, right. And so because we've been so dehumanized, it makes us, it makes us, it makes it easier for them to oppress and exploit. Right. 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 With, you know, with 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 no um, struggles of, of conscience because we're not seen as people resources. I mean, we're, we're just. Uh, we're something we're a means to an end. Exactly. 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 Yeah. I, 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 I agree. I agree 100 percent. And I think that. I think that this is exactly a, it's a representation of exactly that. You know what I mean? Like it don't matter what clothes or rooms or food or how nice they speak to you or not. That don't mean anything because Mm. at the end of the day, like Christina, she tries to play this, you know, role, this kind of like mysterious role in the sense of like, is she friend or foe? Yeah, is she friend right. or foe? You know what I mean? Right. Is, she, mm-hmm. is she friend or foe? You know what I mean? And, she, you know, she tries to have that that way about her, you know, almost like she's not like them. Or, right. Oh, yeah. But she is. Is She's okay. Well, she's, it's, we, it hasn't been, clearly, she's motivated by something, right? Mm-hmm. She's lipstick the ring. Now, it hasn't been fully revealed exactly what that is yet, but she obviously has some type of, Motivation, but I can assure you, whatever it is, it will be her own self interest. And that's you know? what I'm saying. And that, and that's exactly what I'm saying. It's like, now nah, she just got a long game. You know what I mean? Yeah, like this, absolutely. And, they, and you know what? And they usually do. Yep. 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 They usually yep. do. Yep. And and it's it's not. And at this point, like at this point, bros, it's not our opinion. 
And and uh, that's why the underlining of the show is so fire because now we have enough data and research, you know what I mean, to look at history and see that it's not our opinion about like the the oppression, um, the systematic uh, systematic oppression, and racism, and justice. It's not our opinion. We could we've seen it played out. You know what I mean? We've seen it played out. We've seen policies. We've seen, um, you know, um, the draining of resources and stuff like that in America and, and what is produced, you know, over over time. So that long game is perfectly fine because they're not trying to hit a lick. They they're they're building and securing generational wealth. So yes. you know what I mean. So uh, Christina Samuel, they not trying to come up right quick. He trying to get eternal life. You know, yeah, what I'm, saying? Like, I'm not even. But and the thing is, it's not even finesse. It's so, they're so flagrant with it. Like the way right. things are depicted here. Right. Like imagine, like the the imagery of you see all of these white aristocrats, right? Mm-hmm. And they are attempting to sacrifice literally a black man's body to gain access to mm-hmm. paradise. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just the imagery of that, you know? Yeah. White aristocrats, so basically, you know, affluent, uh, usually, you know, white men, mm-hmm. uh, sacrificing an other, this case being a black man, mm-hmm. to get what they want. And, you know, the other can be, you can plug in anything. In this story, you know, we're dealing with a primarily, um, you know, a black cast. Mm-hmm. But this analogy can is applicable for various scenarios throughout history. I mean, it could have been the Native American people. It could be, you know, whatever, whatever other happens to be uh, standing between what they want and what they're willing to do to get that. Right, right. And it's always going to involve sacrifice or the oppression of the other. Right, right, right. And uh, that makes me, okay, so I don't know about this. I don't know. I don't know if this is, is if, if I'm reaching or if this is accurate. When we keep seeing um, is Ticks... What 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 is what is she is is it would it be his great great? Oh, you, talking, you talking about the you talking about the ghost? Yeah, the um, scene, is that I, his... it, it might be. I don't know if it's great grandmother. I don't know. Great great great. I, so, I don't know. She's one of the grandmothers. I mean, she's you know she great <laughs> grandmother. Yeah, he's seeing Tick's grandmother and the house is like on the lodge. The original lodge is like on fire and it's being destroyed. Was she's it, the only survivor. She's the only survivor of it. Was that the was is the, are they saying that was the same thing? Like, is did, was she trying to be sacrificed? You know what I'm saying? It's not really clear. And then it looks like she she you know she mouthed something, but I you know I couldn't really. Yeah, was silent. They didn't you know reveal what she was trying to say. And you know I suspect you know I mean this is the second episode, so I'm sure they're gonna yeah they just they're just planting seeds, and you know and this thread will be picked up. Again, right, 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 right. Yeah, so that's but um, but yeah, but yeah, and so yes, but but so yeah, but back catching back up, um, seemingly R.I.P. to Uncle George. Yeah, when you say seemingly, you don't think Uncle George is dead? Oh no, man! Like Uncle George, he looked he looked dead dead. Now that would you know maybe if they have a flashback episode, (laughs) like you know what? To, To be honest with you, you know. Uh, Courtney B. Vance, the actor that p- portrays Uncle George, an actor of his caliber, it's hard to believe that they wouldn't want to utilize him for more than just 
a glorified cameo because this season is what ten episodes long, so they're gonna kill him in the second episode. You gotta, you gonna you gonna waste a talented actor like that. He gotta come back, man. Yeah, so in some form or fashion, you know, yeah, but you know, yeah, even if they, even if they flat, even like you say, if it's flashback, you know what I'm saying, like. Even if it's, you know, a different story, the story of him and and Tick's mom or something. But we we I, I'm pretty confident we're gonna see him again though. Yeah. Couple of um thoughts and, and references that uh, I should highlight. Mm-hmm. Um both both uh, literary and musical reference. a uh, couple of which we've already talked about. Um, you know, Gil Scott Heron's poem, White is on the Moon. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that might be unfamiliar with uh, Gil Scott Heron's oeuvre. You know, his body of work is profound. Um, many say it birthed hip hop. There, there are a lot of, um, you know, his cadence, mm-hmm. the things he talked about, you know, the, the, the percussion and rhythms that he, he spoke over uh, preceded what, you know, would eventually become known as rap, hip hop, and so on and so forth. So a lot of people, um, draw connections to that. But um yeah. yeah, you need to put your in on Mr. Gil Scott Heron. Mm-hmm. Um hop on YouTube, Google the internets and um yeah man. He's yeah. he has some a lot of prolific work. Many of which for for all you hip hop heads out there, if you were a fan of eighties or nineties era um rap music, they a lot of them sampled mm-hmm. from from his work. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. um some some of his his original material might seem familiar. Yeah. Um of course there was the uh, Jefferson's theme moving on up yeah. earlier in the episode that, that that started it off. There was also the great Nina Simone. Um Blackbird was a song playing during Montrose's escape mm-hmm. earlier. And just for a little bit of diversity. They also slipped in some Marilyn Manson. I don't know if you peeped that. What you know about uh, Marilyn Manson? Not a whole lot. <laughs> Marilyn Manson, you got to diversify, bro. I know you diversify your stocks and your bonds and your financial instruments, you know, musically, man. You got to have a... I never got into Marilyn. He was always a... Uh, hey, man. Uh, I, I listen to everything. Yeah. yeah he, is, he is a character. Yeah. You know what? And he, he would fit right in with all the monsters and stuff we right. see on this show. He would he could, you know... Right. But yeah, they were, right. they were playing on uh, Marilyn Manson's Killing Strangers. Mm. Um, that was during uh, the preparation for Tick to be sacrificed mm. scene. So cu- a couple of noteworthy uh, literary references. We already touched on uh, the Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, Monte Cristo. I don't know why I want to call it Crisco. Mm-hmm. The Count of Monte Cristo uh, by Alexander Dumas. And um, I think we had mentioned before uh Alexander Dumas, also the author of uh, the Three Musketeers, mm-hmm. uh, he was mixed race. Um, you know, he had black ancestry. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another book that they focused in on early in the episode when, um, in the opening, when George was in the room, alive and well, and you know, enjoying all those books. There was a one particular book that the camera focused in on, and it's the House on Borderland. And so I thought that might be significant. Um, and, I, and I did a little research. So The House on the Borderland was written by William Hope Hodge, Hodgson in 1908. And it tells the story of a recluse staying at a remote house where he encounters supernatural beings from other dimensions. Hmm. Now, damn, what does that sound like? Yep. Yep. That's the show. And that's a nice little Easter egg they slipped nice. in there. That's real nice. Exactly it. 
So overall, how did you feel about this episode? What's your general review consensus? What do you What do you think? Yeah. Um. I, so overall, overall, I respected the episode. Um. I in series, I always know you're gonna get those episodes that's more like, okay, we need to move you move you on. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. like this episode gave us some more clarity. You know what I mean? It gave us some more clarity to 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 some of the things, answered some of the questions. Um so I'm rocking with it. When coming off of one, you know what I mean? One was mm-hmm. big and it wasn't really too much like horror, nothing in, in this one, like, you know, considering the first one. So coming off of one being so big, it's like, all right. You know what I'm saying? So so it, I respect the episode for sure. Uh, it, it was dope. But I, I'm i thinking of it in the lens of, okay, at some point they're going to have to like move us along. You know what I mean? Right. They're going to be able to just turn us up every, you know what I'm saying, every one. So <laughs> I've accepted that in seasons. But yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. What about you? So for me, um, mixed feelings about this episode, particularly coming off the high of the premiere episode, which was, you know, just, I mean, that's a high bar that they set with mm-hmm. the opening. Um, this episode, it, it leaned a little heavily into exposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was at the expense of, of, of the horror. You know, it wasn't really, the vibe was a little different. Um, the pace was a little, a little plodding and uneven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know the the few little surprises that they had, um, they were kind of spaced few and far apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes whatever rising tension that would build during this episode, it would sort of be dissipated by the the. the I don't know. It just it was kind of all over the place. It was bouncing around a little bit in tone, and mm-hmm. you know even the visuals were kind of um, up and down. Like I don't know if they spent. The entire budget for the series in the first episode, because you know the effects were excellent. And I, this episode, man, like during the ritual scene, man, some of that CGI work looked like something that you might see on the CW. It wasn't, you know, what I mean, it was like low budget, right. Flash, you know, season one type level. Right, right. You know. right. I can't, so, I can't combat any. Yeah, I, I, I see everything you're saying. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah, because you have a, you have a, um. I think you have a more in-depth eye with that stuff too. Um yeah. and you got the background, you you know, a lot of you didn't put me up on like uh different horror and sci-fi movies and stuff. So yeah, you you got that eye for that, man. Yeah, you know, because they pitched the show as sort of a, a horror drama. So it's right. like, okay. Right. And man, they set the bar so high the first episode. But right. you know what? Well, you know, I get it. You know, maybe they're trying to make the money spread out a little bit. You know what I'm saying? The little budget was a little light when they had to shoot the second episode. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we'll, hopefully we'll be back to, you know, episode one level uh, effects and we're not moving forward. Yeah. I think right, so. I think so, yeah. man. I'm, I'm, I think they. I think they gonna come with it because it's a lot of impact. So they definitely can. You know what I mean? It's just a matter of if, if if they will. Yeah, too too much talent, both in front of the camera and behind. So you know, again, I not not bad. I don't want to sound like I'm just down on the episode, but it's just the first one was so good. It was a you know a little a little a little step back. You know, I respect step back. Yeah, yeah, I respect. But I'm still invested. and I still enjoyed it. You know. Oh, yeah. um, 
and the performances and just everything about it was is compelling. Even like even on a on a bad even a, a so-so episode of this is more compelling than you know ninety percent of what's on television anyway. Right, 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 right. One hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I and I feel like. I feel like it's so many unanswered questions. You know what I'm saying? That uh, that that it's go- they're gonna continue to give us give us story. You know what I mean? To to that that feeds us. Give us story that feeds us. And it's just a matter of them with the effects and with how it's shot and and directed and stuff like that, making sure that that keeps up. But they got me sold on where the story's going for sure. So we'll just have to see yeah, man. next week. So, all right, y'all, it's going to do it for this week's episode. As always, thanks for listening. Um, you can find contact details in the show notes. And we'll see you next time for episode three. <laughs>